Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-roll for ELL166. And, uh, you know, at the top of the show today, I want to remind you guys about our Lions of Liberty Pride. You can get in, get all of our bonus content for as little as $5 a month. And you can go all the way up to $100 a month or even higher by going to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Get in on all the bonus content, including early access to debate recaps, including Do Nothing Man episodes before they air to the public, including Degenerate Gamblers, our hilarious drinking, gambling, talking, uh, and just commiserating about horrible things that happened to us in our lives, Conspiracy Corners, including the just-aired coronavirus episode, and a brand new show that I have introduced called Dear Krabby, where I drunkenly answer your relationship or life questions it even might be Liberty questions. So join today, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 166, meaning you can find the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL166. And don't forget, you can still get 15% off of your order at NorthSpokaneCBD.com. The North Spokane Hemp Company will give you all the things you need for the CBD remedies for your life. So make sure to check that out. And uh, tell them Lions sent you by using the promo code Lions. So today's Super Tuesday, guys. I'm recording this episode a little late because I uh, took part in Super Tuesday voting here in the progressive bastard state of California. And, you know, really, I only go to vote in these things, not because I plan on really impacting any uh, sort of local elections. For the main part, I vote down the ticket against the incumbent because, frankly, I'm against the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, I may at times throw a vote to a Republican just because Democrats control everything so thoroughly and it's completely driven this state and city and town and municipality, whatever else you want to call it, county, everything therein into a total shit show, including rampant homeless, unbelievably high taxation, wildfires that rage because nobody's cutting down the uh, the trees or clearing the underbrush, all sorts of horrible things that you would imagine. Uh, and don't forget the housing crisis. So anyway, I do throw a vote to Republican now and then. But for the most part, I look to see, okay, who's running against the incumbent? That's who I'll vote for. Get him out, clean out the garbage, sweep out the cobwebs, just get somebody else in there. I don't really give a damn. Although there was one candidate, uh, I think his last name was Lowe. I think it was like Ken Lowe or something like that, who was a... Uh, a guy that, that had some interesting messaging, basically just calling out how there was a lack of transparency in the system. He sent out text messages, which I got a few different text messages uh, from various various uh, candidates, some of which I was very annoyed by, some of which I was only somewhat annoyed by. But I'll read you one of these, which I thought was uh, fairly interesting. This guy was running for District 2. And he says he wants to enforce transparent spending so you can see where every dollar is going. He wants to stamp out corruption, et cetera. He uh, cites the incredible measures on spending $600 million and built zero units for housing. Now, that being said, and this guy's running again for uh, LA County supervisor. He says he's committed to building 100,000 real affordable houses 
I don't know what his plan is for that. I think he's probably going to run to the same type of uh, horse shit that everybody else does. I also question whether he's going to be able to do this in a financially fiscal manner. However, I still cast a vote for the guy just because I liked, uh, I liked his swagger. And as I said, I will vote for anybody that's not the incumbent. So let's see what he does when he gets into office. Otherwise, yes, I agree. Voting is a status tool and democracy is idiotic. I did, by the way, also cast a vote for uh, Jacob Hornberger because I am a registered libertarian and I am a member of the LP. So I went and uh, cast my vote for, uh, for Horny Hornberger this time around. Now, one of the things I will tell you, California is a state that has instituted a new voting you know, like instead of the old booths where you go in and you kind of use your your ka-chunk, ka-chunk pen to uh, push through the dots, which famously confused people in Florida. Now they've got a new system in place here in California. And I think other states did it, too, in Super Tuesday, some of them at least, wherein it's digital, right? So you get in, you check in, which you think should be a simple process. You know, you show your ID, which, yes, I still think you should have to show a goddamn ID to, to vote, uh, despite what the uh, Democrats want to tell you. Go in. I gave my name. Actually, they didn't even ask me to see my ID. Now that I think about it. Hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. But I told them my name. They go, okay, this is you. Yeah, that's me. Okay, there's a libertarian. They give you a piece of paper with your name, libertarian party. Great. So you go up to these machines. Of course, there's a long line of people waiting to vote. And I don't need to tell you, looking around at these people voting, idiots and assholes. Can I just, I don't want to beat around the bush here. Idiots and assholes, every last one of them. Except one guy who I have spoken to, <laughs> drunk at a bar once who had a handlebar mustache. And even that guy, you could argue, is probably an idiot or an asshole for talking to me, drunk at a bar of all people. However, I hope that I did sway him to the side of liberty, as is my way talking to people drunk at bars. And, bonus for you guys, I will be doing a drunken bar talk coronavirus a little bit later in the show. So, Looking around, though, it's just, you know, the, of course, it's a lot of just old, decrepit people. It's a lot of, uh, obviously, and in Los Angeles, a lot of people that are, that do not speak English as a first language. That's not here nor there. I'm just giving you a, a breakdown of the room. A couple of younger people, maybe one or two professionals. Not many young people. I'll tell you that. Not many young people. And maybe that's just because they're at work and I went early. I went at like 3.30. But. I'm curious to see if this massive wave of support that they're trying to say uh, Bernie Sanders has generated comes to fruition because I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be the same old turnout that it's always been and that any new wave of, you know, desperate socialist loving millennials or sub millennials is not actually going to come about because they're too lazy to get off the couch. If they're too lazy to, to engage in the free market, God damn it. They're too lazy to get out and vote. So the thing about these new machines though, is that I walk in there and two of them are fucking broken already. So that's great. You know, and, and of course with these, unlike the other ones, which were simply, I mean, they were tactile. They were, uh, they were very much based in the past decades. Like Jesus could have made them as a carpenter back in the day. You know, the old systems, it was literally a flip book and a piece of paper and a ka-chunk, ka-chunk ink pen. And that was it. So there's nothing to go wrong. It's like driving an old Chevy from 1950 if the car breaks down, you open up the hood, you can fix it yourself. 
Not so with these new machines, which of course are all digital. It's like an iPad touch setup and you go beep bop, boop bop, beep bop. So they break, there's no fixing them. They're just down. So we're waiting, right? And we're shuffling along this seat. It's like playing musical chairs. Imagine if you will, imagine if you will. It's like, a, <laughs> like the twilight zone. Imagine Brian McWilliams, a man about town, a gadfly, if you will, doesn't know what he's about to get into when he tries to vote. But he'll find out on this episode of The Twilight Zone. So anyway, I sit down. It's a church room full of, uh, again, the people I described and some old-ass kind of vinyl brown chairs. There's people waiting that somehow... Despite the fact that it took me literally 30 seconds, I'm going to pour myself a nice Willet whiskey while I'm talking here. It takes literally 30 seconds for me to check in because I'm prepared. Apparently, I know my name and I can spell it. And that was all it took for me. But there's people taking five goddamn minutes to check in because they went to the wrong voting place or I, I don't even know us. And then, of course, there's always the time when a guy messes his ballot up and somehow has to come back and reset his ballot and go vote again. But we'll get to that. So imagine sitting on these vinyl chairs. Some people are chowing down on snacks. I think there's some free uh, free coffee in the corner. There's all sorts of Jesus paraphernalia around this room. It's like the rec room at the church. You know, God, God prays for peace and hope, pray, love, and, you know, everything. There's no, let no chair go undoilied with a God phrase for which an ass to sit on. So we're shuffling around like musical chairs, though, because there's so many of us waiting that, we're sitting, but we're moving our asses a seat over every time to keep the line in place, right? Because the, the old people can't stand this long. <laughs> Their old legs will collapse under them. And then it'll just be a, a bucket of old people bones sitting there that will have to, you know, they'll have to then do what the Democrats did the last time the elections uh, cap came around, where they just go to these buckets of bones houses and they pretend that they tell them who to vote for and they just fill in the sheets. But they can't do that in public here. So they have to shuffle these buckets of bones along on these chairs and we're sliding our asses to the right one by one every time a booth frees up. Sometimes you literally sit your ass down and then you're shifted over your ass a seat. So it was just a comical up, down, left, right, musical chair scenario. Finally get up to vote. And there's people at this fucking voting booth. Like some old bitty is sitting there and she brings the entire voting handbook. Now, what they send you, the guide to the California primary, is like a 20-page you know, paper thin, like hard to flip with your, with your dry papery skin, which that's not an old people thing. I have that too, but she's sitting there and there's only, by the way, like three measures to vote on, which I voted no on fucking all of them. One of which I'll explain really quickly. I'm already, I'm already tangenting. I might as well tangent within the tangent, like inception. So one of them is they have all these commercials and they, somebody called me, which I was like, no, hang up. They, it's like SB uh, 13, I think. So SB 13 was to appropriate an additional like $21 million or something like that. I'm sorry, 15 million or $15 billion. Let me, don't let me undersell this. $15 billion that they say was absolutely necessary to go into schools and remove asbestos and remove lead paint and whatever else is left over from the good old days when we could kill our children with authority by uh, state-sponsored schools to go in there and clean all this crap out, right? So I guarantee you that Californians are going to vote en masse to pass this stupid bill, which, by the way, does not need to be funded in any additional manner by the populace. You know why? Because LAUSD, the school system here, 
has a $21 billion surplus this year. So they have that money. That's the dirty secret. But you know what the dirtier secret is? And this is the dirtier secret that they didn't tell you too during all these teacher uh, striking that we had last year for all these clowns to get even more money, despite the fact that they get three months a year off and they make a median income that's equal to that of the average person in America. They average, average LAUSD teacher makes about $65,000 a year, by the way. Give you an uh, indication. So the dirtier secret, though, is not that they have this $21 billion surplus because the teachers told you about that to try to get you to feel sorry for them that they weren't getting paid what they demanded from their wages, which you know you would not be able to get on a free market system. But the dirtier secret is that they're going to be deep in the hole as far as budget next year. Because why? Oh, yeah, all of those pensions come due, all of those benefits that were promised to these unionized a-holes come due. Now there's a huge budget shortfall. So now they come crawling back and they say, we need $15 billion more dollars or else the children are going to die. Meanwhile, could easily have remedied this in the past, could easily have remedied this any number of the years that you were running a surplus, could easily have put this at the forefront rather than assuring teachers and teachers' unions that you'd be paying through the nose at taxpayers' expense for the next 25 years. Okay, getting back on point. Long story short, this old biddy is sitting there. She's flipping through this pamphlet, looking at every every single... She must have been up there for 20 minutes at the Scotland voting booth, looking through, because she didn't have the wherewithal to flip through it before she got to the voting booth. How could I... How, why, I mean, how would you ever think to do that, right? I mean, ha- having that level of common consideration or forethought, why would she? This crunchy granola-eating old grandmother. No, no. She waits till she drives her VW bug smelling of uh, perfume and dead cats up to the voters' booth, then she decides to flip through it. So she's there for 20 minutes flipping through page after page of nonsense because there's only like four things, but they explain it and they go through all the different props and regulations and here's the things and here's the laws behind it and all this. So she takes 30 minutes total, as do a half of these other assholes who can't figure out how to use the bee-boo-bot machine. <laughs> Guess how long it took your old pal Brian to do it? Huh? Guess how long? Two minutes. Two goddamn minutes. The woman tried to explain it to me. I shooed her away. I said, I don't need you. I know how to press buttons. I know how to read. Get. And thus it was done. And they gave me a sticker, which I threw in the trash. And then I assured everyone, as I do every single year on Twitter, that I just want them to know for a fact that I voted against every single money-grubbing inefficient waste of taxpayer time and effort government power grab that they voted for and that I thought they all were idiots. So there you go. There's my voting story at the top of the show. And while we're talking about it, we might as well get into some super Tuesday stuff here. And by the way, now it's, I'm, I'm hoping this will even out when I equalize this later on, but for some reason, my microphone just decides on its own accord ghosts, I guess, to jump up my input volume all the way to the highest setting. I don't go into system preferences on the reg and fuck with my mic settings, but it does it on its own, which is super annoying. So I decided to turn it down. So sorry if I blew your ears out there at the beginning of the show because my mic was set way, way too high and I just noticed it. Anyway, we're back. So Super Tuesday is today. 
And um, some of the interesting things that have happened is that we had Pete Booty Judge drop out. We had the uh, the cackling, twitching cockatoo, Amy Klobuchar. She dropped out. We also had uh, Tom Steyer drop out. So sadly, hashtag Styrofoam will no longer be allowed to trend if Tom Steyer's uh, ripping and frothing at the mouth talking about climate change. So all three of those people drop out. They saw after South Carolina that it wasn't worth it. Uh, of all those people, Booty Judge was the biggest surprise to me just because he had won Iowa. I thought he'd stick around a little longer. I thought at least until Super Tuesday he would uh, stick around. But at the end of the day, I guess these people were like, you know what? We're just going to wait it out. It's not our time. And frankly, from what I'm seeing is that they immediately all drop out and they rush to endorse Joe Biden. All of them. And that tells me that two things. Number one, Probably the Democratic establishment got to them and said, you know what? You guys are strong candidates. Don't worry. We'll support you in other ways. We want you to drop out and support Biden because Bernie Sanders is running away with this thing. And if you don't think socialism is the way to go, you need to come to our side. So it seems like that's probably what happened. And they, um, I mean, at this point to me, I'll be short with this stuff so we can get into the voting and then get past it. Cause I know a lot of you don't want to hear that much about super Tuesday stuff yet, especially because we do all of our, debate recap shows, but it certainly looks like the democratic establishment is doing everything they can to tank Bernie and force a, uh, contested democratic convention with Warren's doing, and she should have dropped out as well, but she hasn't, she's out there telling her supporters that they're going to stay. She's in it till the end. And she's going to stick around. You have Bert, you have a booty judge who I've already said is establishment all the way and Klobuchar throwing their support behind Biden, which it already looks apparent that Sanders is going to run away with this because he's going to get California. There's no way he doesn't. And that's a massive haul. He's going to get New York, right? That's going to be a massive haul as well. So he's going to get a lot of these states that have a ton of voters in them. And he's already got a pretty good lead on Biden as it is. And I can't think that the debates between Biden and Sanders are going to look any better. Oh, Bloomberg's still in the race too, of course, <laughs> but not for long. I guarantee you after uh, Super Tuesday, he's going to drop out. But it certainly looks like they're doing everything they can to make sure that he cannot get the votes that he needs and the delegates that he needs to be able to go in and say, look, I'm the uh, de facto, I'm the de facto nominee as Bernie Sanders and uh, Bernie Sanders is going to run away with everything. That's not going to happen. Now. They're going to do everything they can to make sure he doesn't achieve those numbers. And that's why I think Warren, despite the fact that she absolutely should drop out, will get so much support from the Democratic establishment. Because she is, in fact, a little snake. You know, she's adopting these socialist platforms. She's never been a massive socialist. She was a fucking Republican until she started getting into public life, for Christ's sakes. So she's happy to adopt these positions because she thought, okay, this is the, the most popular thing to do. I can try to gin up all these dumb young kids who don't know what the hell they're talking about. But now she's become a foil against Sanders and the Democratic establishment knows that Warren is really on their team and they know that she's still pulling away from Sanders. Now, granted, after Super Tuesday and, and you see trending, you know, hashtag uh, Warren to Sanders on Twitter, his supporters trying to get them to ditch her and come over to, uh, to Bernie Sanders side. You might see some people flowing over there, but the Democratic establishment wants to keep her in the race because she is the only thing splitting off votes from Sanders and stopping him from getting even more delegates, thus enabling him to go uncontested into that convention. So I think you're going to see her continue to get support, even though she doesn't deserve it. 
And to segue, oh, to one more th- quick thing while we're while we're talking about these uh, these also rans. One quick thing about Pete Booty Judge. I read some asinine, uh, you know, commentary about how now they've get, now they've eliminated the only woman left, and they've eliminated the gay man, and now oh, now it's just straight white men again. Boo hoo. Well, number one, Democratic voters did that. Big bad Republicans didn't do it. Big bad libertarians didn't do it. Neo-Nazis didn't do it. Democratic voters did that. So that tells you something, doesn't it? It either tells you that your candidates weren't good enough or that the Democratic voters that pretend that they like women and gays and everything else, they really want white men running shit. I'm not saying that I know definitively that's the truth. I'm not saying that I have a preference one way or the other. I'm just saying that's what the optics tell me. So, you know, woo, woo, woo all the way home. But at the end of the day, I guess you need to have better candidates or you need to have a democratic base that understands itself and realizes that they may in fact be a little bit racist and uh, biased towards white old men (laughs) or that they're not racist at all, but they just happen to agree with those candidates or think they have the most experience. But that being said, Jen Ron Rowe, you know, uh, Jen, the libertarian, uh, Mance Raider's lovely wife. Of course, Mance is now known as Pete Quinones, and he has his Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, as well as being a managing editor at the Libertarian Institute. So make sure to check him out. Good friend of ours. But Jen had tweeted out that, you know, it's amazing that Pete Booty Judge got this far without anybody really talking about the fact that he's gay. And that is a great observation. I mean, Christ, we're bemoaning the fact that this guy's not in the race anymore, but his homosexuality never really came up. It was never questioned. The Republicans didn't attack it. Trump didn't attack it. Nobody's bringing it up as though it's any point of contention. Can we celebrate the fact that it wasn't a big deal? Because that's what I've been arguing this whole time is the more these identity politic jerk-offs try to separate us, the real importance, the real great thing to take away with this is that the average person does not care. We don't care enough to bring it up except maybe to slang a joke and that joke's in good fun. So let's celebrate the fact that Pete got this far and nobody had to bring up this homosexuality, that he didn't have to defend it, that none of the pundits had to question it, that he fucking got there. We don't need to have eulogies written about how fucking racist and bigoted the Democratic Party is because he got knocked out early when the guy had basically no experience and was a mayor of a third-rate town in Indiana. And then Klobuchar. Talk about her for a moment. Again, a woman who didn't bring much to the table other than a lot of really bad mom jokes that her hack writers put together that she managed to wedge into debates. But also, Amy Klobuchar was endorsed by the New York Times. She's now gone. Never resonated. Adios. Elizabeth Warren, and I'm going to come around to the Super Tuesday, Elizabeth Warren is polling third in her own state. She can't even win her own home state. Those are the two times uh, endorsees, those two women, even though it made no sense to endorse two candidates, even though they stood for totally different things. I'm excited to see just how meaningless the New York Times endorsement is. Adios, old gray lady. Nobody needs you anymore. And good riddance because you've a biased piece of trash. So anyway, Super Tuesday, as of right now, it looks as though Biden is running away with the South. Now, that was widely presumed to be the case. But from what I'm seeing right here, and again, I'm recording this about 7.15 p.m. West Coast time. But they're calling Alabama, Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Arkansas, most likely 
Massachusetts. Maine's too close to tell for Biden. So he's sweeping a lot of those southern states to be expected. A lot of these others aren't going all in for Bernie Sanders and socialism, but also the black voters still fond uh, fond memories of Joe Biden as Barack Obama's right-hand man, even though I don't really know why they uh, they support him. I just really, I mean, I, I don't know. You can stand next to somebody for eight years, and I guess that that makes you a, a great hero to the uh, the black population. I don't get it. Then again, none of these candidates should be of uh, much interest to the black population, in my opinion. And as I had said on my debate recap that I did with Howie and Odie and uh, I think Rico jumped on there as well as JB, but watching the last Democratic debate, watching the Democratic candidates lay out and talk about how African-Americans had been discriminated against, how the redlining laws came into place, how the government wouldn't back the bank loans, you know, for those those areas, how discrimination was put into place, how FDR and the and the New Deal had really ensconced those ghettos because they built these these areas for the black people and then they kept them in those areas. And then you got the welfare state coming in, which made things even worse. You've got populations that are dependent on welfare and thus how are incentivized by the state to not have a full family unit because if the people, if the fathers come out from prison and they rejoin the family, they lose the benefits. You've got over-policing of these neighborhoods that, again, the government created in the first place to put men in jail. You've got the war on drugs. You've got all these other housing policies that are negatively affecting African-Americans. It was amazing to go down the litany of things they talked about, right? None of which have helped the black population in America. Even the ones that weren't incredibly designed to hurt them. I mean, like Ronald Reagan importing cracked into the black communities, you know, to to fund the Iran-Contra scandal. Even the ones that weren't specifically targeted at racial minorities in America to intentionally keep them down, the policies that were put in place ostensibly to help them also kept them down. Why, if you are a black person in America, are you looking at, A, the Democratic Party for any help, and B, the government in general for any help. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you not say, you know what? Government has only been a boot on my neck and the rest of my people's necks since we got to this country. I just don't get it. Anyway, Sanders looks like he's going to obviously win Vermont and Colorado. Colorado, of course, is another insanely progressive dipshit state. Uh, no offense to my friends in Colorado. I know Lance Psycho's out there. I know Mike Brancatelli is out there from Mike Adelic Podcast. Of course, a lot of you guys also know him from uh, Part of the Problem back in the day. Both those guys have been on the show before. Check that out. Uh, but still, though, the vast majority are ultra progressive out there. It's like a Seattle, you know, it's like a, it's like a Washington state. So naturally, they're going to go for Bernie. And then Utah, Utah, shockingly going to Sanders. I don't know why they're going Sanders. I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought Utah would go. I thought Utah maybe would go with Elizabeth Warren. And then you got Bloomberg, who's actually, you know, making a, a decent showing. He's doing better than Warren, I would say, in most states, if we're being perfectly honest, which again raises the question, why is Warren even in here? At this point, looking at these charts, Warren is polling a 20% in her own state, Following behind Joe Biden at 34%, Bernie Sanders at 28%, Bloomberg's coming in at 11.5%. Elizabeth Warren. So despicable, she can't even win her own state. And let's just talk about that aspect, too. My own wife, who is a woman, 
I know a woman with an opinion that she doesn't see eye to eye with a female candidate. Can you believe it? But she had, she was talking, you know, we were watching the debate and, uh, and I talked about that on the show too. She had some funny observations and, and honestly, just, you know, even if she weren't the mother of my incredibly, uh, adorable child who was just an absolute monstrous beast today will not just wouldn't shut up all day long. And I, I'm like sweaty and gross and I haven't showered today and she's miserable with <laughs> miserable today because the baby's just being a beast. But also side note, took, uh, took the baby to meet Jason Stapleton and his lovely girlfriend the other day, had a lovely evening, drank some wine. The baby was great. There must be that calming Stapleton influence. Wealth, power, and baby influence with Jason Stapleton. So anyway, uh, yeah, the baby's in a monster today. But my wife, while we're watching the debate, she's just like, I can't stand Elizabeth Warren. I hate her. Cause she's and I'm like, why? She's like, she's she's so fake. She's so unlikable. She just is like this kind of uh, like scolding school marm, but mixed with like a a bitchy, just nastiness that you can see. It's like palpable. And for all this, like, oh, my mammy and my daddy taught me to I was blah, blah, all this horseshit she throws out there. You can see that she's just a nasty, gross person who will do whatever it takes to get power and continue to grab at that power through and through. And, of course, it doesn't help that she's a fake Indian. It doesn't help that she lied about being Native American to get into Harvard. And it doesn't really shine well on Harvard to say that she was the first Native American professor there when she's clearly, <laughs> what do they call him, ghost face, pale face. Clearly pale face. So, you know, fuck Elizabeth Warren. I, I Like I said, I don't think she's going to drop out because the establishment needs her in there to split Bernie's socialist uh, voters out. And Elizabeth Warren still is pushing out the most impractical, insane plan. So if you're completely uninterested in reality, she's probably still your candidate. And also, let's not forget that there are a lot of women voters who probably will just go I'm a fan of Elizabeth Warren because she's a woman and that's all that matters. She has a vagina. I have a vagina. I've argued with these people on Twitter. Trust me, they exist. They're the ones taking selfies with her, snapping it with the vagina cameras. Yes, those exist too. I invented them. See that, you idiots? You're giving me money by snapping those selfies with the vagina camera, which I invented. If you're wondering how it works, it's a stick that you put the uh, the squeezer. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a stress ball. You shove that up your vagina. You have your selfie stick that kind of shoots out about six inches, then goes straight up. You clench it, kind of like kegels. You know, you guys know what kegels are, right? You're an educated audience. So it's like a kegel motion. So you kegel it, squeezes the stress ball, snaps a picture of you, and you just hold that kegel. So it's a good workout as well, which is why I'm pitching it to Suzanne Summers to work at as a as like an alternative to the thigh master. But you kegel snap. That's what it's called. Kegel snap, trademarked. You kegel snap. And bam, you got an awesome selfie, Elizabeth Warren. Your hands free. You can hug her. You can poke her. Do whatever you want. Go to www.kegelsnap.com. Okay, getting back to it. So anyway, it's the way it's shaking out. And again, unfortunately, California, the biggest plum of all, we still have to wait on. And as and we have to wait on Texas as well. As of right now, this this honestly looks too good to be true. Hold on, let me refresh this. Wow. No. Okay. That. Okay. So let me tell you why that was blowing my goddamn mind for a moment. Everybody. I looked down, I'm looking at Politico's you know, live results here. And I went down to Texas, which has like 17% of the districts reporting. And it had listed Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard at 24% and leading. And I, 
almost dropped my whiskey because I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Tulsi Gabbard's going to be able to get back in there and preach her anti-war message. And don't fucking at me, bro, with all your bullshit about Tulsi Gabbard and how she's a huge status and how a lot of her policies are awful. Yes, I know. Thank you. I do a podcast every week talking about this shit. Trust me, I know all about Tulsi Gabbard. I know her weak points too. But still, she's the only one out there really preaching the anti-war message. She's all for legalizing all the drugs. She's for completely ending the war on drugs. She'd still be a good voice in this debate. Anyway, sadly, I refreshed. (laughs) And now Joe Biden is leading in Texas. Or I'm sorry, Bernie Sanders is leading in Texas, which shows you just how fucked that state's become with 28% of the Democratic vote. Um, All right, that's enough Super Tuesday talk, guys. We'll see what shakes out in California, yay, but I will not have a shot at talking about it. Um, I will say that I do think Bloomberg's going to be done here. I don't see a point in him staying in. I mean, the guy, God, I I, I don't know how big your ego has to be and how many billions you have to spend before you call it a day, but Mike Bloomberg... Call it a day, man. Crawl into your tiny bed in that tree and and just go back to making cookies, buddy. It's over. It's over for you. All right. Let's take a quick break so I can uh, drink a little lemon water, refresh my voice, and then we'll be swinging back around here to talk about, do a little bar talk about the coronavirus taking on the whole statist argument that for some reason, national governments and only national governments should be covering and, uh, and containing the coronavirus. And we'll talk about a couple other things too, a little potpourri. Good morning, Liberty. That's what you will be saying once you tune in to our pals over at the Good Morning Liberty podcast, guys. You might have heard John Odermatt and myself over on the show with Nate and Charlie, the hosts of Good Morning Liberty. We just did their show uh, on Friday, no, wait, was it Friday? I don't know. My, I don't know. Don't ask me what this goddamn baby days go by. You can find it by going to any of your podcasting apps, finding Good Morning Liberty. Go back a couple episodes because they are a every day of the week podcast. Well, any day, every day of the weekday <laughs> podcast, at least. So they're bringing you Liberty Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe if there's days in between, I don't know, it was a leap year. Maybe there's a leap day too. They're on it, but you can find them there talking about everything under the Liberty sun. These guys are, uh, it's kind of interesting because we talked a little bit about healthcare on the show. They are entrepreneurs. Not only are they that, they're also musicians, which is kind of interesting, but these guys have their own healthcare IT company. So they know the ins and outs. They know the cronyism that's involved in the medical system, what's going on right now. So fascinating stuff. Make sure to check them out. Listen to the Lions of Liberty on there. As I said, we were just on talking uh, about our story, talking about some current events and uh, had a hell of a time, probably because Mark Claire wasn't on the show with us. So Check them out. Again, Good Morning Liberty. You can also find them online at lol.gmlpodcast.com or at bernielies.com. Surprising that wasn't taken. Feel bad I didn't get it myself. All right, back to the show. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 166. Uh, So talking about that episode of uh, John and I on Good Morning Liberty, I will link to that in the show notes, guys. So make sure you go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 166, and I'll embed that so you can uh, hear it for your listening pleasure, shove it in your ear holes, and then uh, vomit it out your mouth to other people sharing liberty as we do. 
And coming back in here, I want to talk about uh, the coronavirus and do a segment, which I know we have a lot of new listeners. And actually, before I get into bar talk, let's do a quick shout out to uh, the dipshit reviewer of the week, which, you know, we had a lot of great listeners come over from the Reason podcast. And thank you all for coming over. And thanks uh, again. Nick Gillespie was on last episode. Really had a great time talking to Nick. That was super fun and uh, interesting getting deep into some of these pop culture and cartoon shows from the Liberty side of things. But as many great listeners and great subscribers that we've gotten from Reason, we've had a couple that have come over and very clearly, and granted, I don't, obviously I'm not blaming Reason for this, but we've had a couple that come over. They listened to clearly part of one podcast and then gave us a one-star review on iTunes. <laughs> like one asshole just wrote one-star review. This is just GOP talking points. To which I respond, number one, who the fuck that's a libertarian says those are GOP talking points? Are, what are, you, are you Bernie Sanders? Are you Elizabeth Warren, you clown? But I just found it fascinating that people come over. I mean, granted, especially because we have a variety show format here. So I don't even know what show they're listening to. I don't know what, uh, if it's mine, if it's John Odermatt on Felony Fridays, they could have listened to an episode where he had on the former police officer who never wrote a ticket. You know, like we have guests on these shows. I don't even know what this person's talking about, but they feel that they should go give us a one-star review and say that it's GOP talking about, despite the fact that we're all goddamn anarcho-capitalists on this show. Just unbelievable. So thank you to all of you new Reason listeners. And if you'd be so kind, those of you out there of our many multiple thousands of listeners, please do go leave a review and also please share the show with your friends so that we aren't uh, brought down by the uh, the troll libertarians that do exist out there. And I, I don't even know. It, it's inexplicable that you could even be a libertarian and do, do that kind of thing. Uh, write that kind of idiotic review. But anyway, suffice to say, the reason I started on this tangent is that a lot of you did come over from Reason Welcome. And a lot of you, I mean, our show has been really growing exponentially, which if you don't know, we have been uh, just this year alone. I mean, our downloads, we've, we've gotten up about a thousand downloads just in the first two months of this year, which is fantastic. So we're looking to really grow the show. And uh, and also the, the level of support we've gotten through our Patreon has really amped up. We're excited about that because as we're now doing a lot more video content, uh, we're going to have a little promo video that Mark and I did at the LA Libertarian Convention. We're also getting a lot of more attention. I will be speaking at the Free Market Roadshow over in Europe. Yes, I will be doing that at the end of June, and I will share that with you guys. And we've got some European listeners. I'm very excited about this speaking tour opportunity. Um, but also, we're going to be going to the LA or the uh, the LP convention. We're bringing the entire Lions of Liberty crew out. We're bringing our buddy Dan Smots to come and video the whole thing. We'll be doing interviews there on site. That's because of your support. So thank you. Uh, you can join and help us out at patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Every dime, at least until we make it super big, but every dime goes back into the show, just so you know. Um, right now, we're about a $1,500 uh, a month support, and all of that goes back into the show. Better video, better audio, doing more, going more places. Um, all for liberty. That's what we love doing. So anyway, new listeners may not be familiar with a segment that I like to call Bar Talk. Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking, Mike. 
But you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big chewy pretzels here that are all oh, you guys with your beers. You know, Five dollars? Get out of here. Yes, good old bar talk, a segment wherein I have turned a negative into a positive. Actually, I say it's a positive, but the guys are always riffing on me because I get drunk and I talk to dudes at bars about liberty. But I've turned that into this glorious segment where I take on a topic that might be coming up for you and your circle of friends or somebody you may meet at a dinner party or drunk at a bar, and I get a little tipsy myself and I tell you exactly how to handle talking about said subject in this segment called Bar Talk. So let me just go a little start, and I try to keep it as short as I can here, but let's just talk about this coronavirus because everybody's been talking about how, you know, we need to have a strong government. We need to have a state control. That's the only way we can contain a pandemic. You know, what if we have a, a zombie horde? So let's address this. Uh, number one, let's just talk about what the state can and can't do. No state, no government is going to be able to control or contain a virus that is airborne. If anything, the only chance they'd have at it might be if it is, in fact, a zombie apocalypse where it's communicated by touch from person to person. You're not going to stop airborne viruses. They're communicated too easily. We have too much international trade. There's too many ways in which it can be passed from person to person or, per, or even sometimes animal to person to be able to stop this sort of thing. And it's foolish to expect any government to do so unless you're fucking Wakanda and you live inside of a massive bubble, which we are not there yet. Let me remind everybody. It's impossible to presume that a state would be able to do that. And as we've seen, China, in all of its goddamn authoritarian communism glory, in uh, quotes, has not been able to stop it. They couldn't even stop people within the cities. They quarantined themselves from getting out and escaping and spreading the virus. So why would we think that this somehow excuses accepting an authoritarian government into your life? Now, not only that, but states can't even stop things like people from going across their borders in and out. We have rampant immigration. We have people crossing borders all the time. Even in China, they lock it down. They could tell that people were crossing and they even monitor everybody's cell phones openly because China has a program and a platform where they monitor what you do on social media, where you go, etc. And yet it didn't stop it. And those are things the size of humans, let alone the size of viruses. And what else goes across borders all the time and we can't stop? Oh, drugs, weapons, gang members. All of these things are constantly going across. You don't think a virus, a microscopic, invisible virus is going to be able to do it, let alone people that are going to be able to sneak out and spread said virus, especially if you're locking them into a quarantine situation. I'm going to come back around to that. But let me also just get in front of this whole thing. Let me just address the concept of a pandemic and a concept of having a government issue a warning as to the coming virus apocalypse before we even know really what we're dealing with. I mean, I was reading the wonderful news link sent by our own Howie Snowden, which our Pride Patreon members can access for $15 and up. And included an article from Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, of course, is from Adam Carolla fame, Loveline fame, has his own shows on drugs and recovery, etc. But he was on saying, you know, the problem isn't really that the flu's out there or that this version, the coronavirus, which is just a version of the flu, essentially. It's not that that's out there. The real problem is that we have a panic on our hands because the media 
has told us that it is going to come for us and that our children and our loved ones aren't safe. And you not only have that, you don't have a, a complicit media looking for attention, looking for viewers, looking for clicks, telling you that the world's going to end. But you also have governments. You have the World Health Organization. You have the CDC jumping on it and telling you this thing's going to spread. Everybody watch out. Causing mass hysteria, causing economic collapses, causing the stock market to bleed money, causing the Fed to lower interest rate. The fucking Fed just lowered the goddamn interest rate. Because of what? Oh, yeah a flu bug that hasn't even killed as many people as the actual seasonal flu. So we should give governments more power to do that, more power to control the information flow as an authoritarian government would do and does do. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And not only talking about economic panic, not only are we talking about the Fed stealing more money from us and, and causing havoc in the markets by lowering the interest rates. No, not only that, but look in your everyday stores. I mean, Christ, I'm reading articles about Costco's running out of water, about people storming in and buying up all these products, wasting their hard-earned money, wasting, I emphasize wasting their hard-earned money, buying up these goods for when they need to what? Hide inside their homes because of a flu bug? That what? They think the global economy is going to shut down because of this flu bug, which, by the way, China already seems to be pulling out of. But we don't know because we don't trust the statistics. Again, another point I'll get back to in a minute. But you have these people, their lives are being ruined. I mean, Christ, if you had a job that's being destroyed by the economic uh, cut and slash that's going on because of this pandemic narrative being pushed out by governments, being pushed out by media, they're ruining your life for nothing because we don't even know the truth yet. And not only that, but we have a shortage, right? We have shortages of water. We have shortages of, of non-perishable goods from these people that have been fooled into thinking that this is some sort of global uh, global apocalypse on them. And then people that step into the void that say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go in. I'm going to go across state lines or I'm going to go out of town. I'm going to buy a bunch of water. I'm going to come in. I'm going to sell them. Or let's say masks, you know, in China, in uh, the Asians especially, and even here in the United States, people want to wear the antivirus masks, which really don't help you, by the way. Uh, it's more to keep you from infecting other people. But they're trying to buy up all these masks. You can't find them. So you can sell them at a higher price. Now, if you go for the effort of finding them, and trust me, they're hard to find, shouldn't you be able to sell them at a bit of a profit considering that you had to drive to Timbuktu to find them or you had to produce them yourself or you had to outsource them and probably pay above market prices anyway? Well, no, says the government. Now, not just every authoritarian government, our very own authoritarian governments on a state, governmental, federal, local level. No, they decide that you're price gouging now. By supplying people with a desperately needed item at above market cost, you're now price gouging. Never mind they can't get it anywhere else at the rate, but God forbid that you decide to make a little profit or reimburse yourself for the time and energy you put into providing this sometimes life-sustaining substance. So <coughs> on top of the shortages the government itself created, now they're incarcerating people taking away their life and their liberty because these people are going out of the way to try to provide a service to serve the shortages the government itself created. It's an amazing little Ouroboros there, isn't it? Now let's move on to states not letting people in or out, right? China has a total lockdown on a lot of places. Other governments are having lockdowns. They're quarantining people. If you have it, you might be stuck on a cruise ship. For Christ's sake, if this was a real pandemic disease, 
to quarantine people as governments have done on cruise ships. Doesn't that seem a little cruel and unusual? I mean, my friends, we oppose the death penalty, right? I mean, uh, most people listening to this probably oppose the death penalty, at least on a federal level. And we are talking about a federal uh, level of control. I mean, this is a global pandemic, right? We have to have the largest government possible to contain it. So if we oppose a government having the power over death, life and death decisions, and then we oppose it because not only because of the basics, but because of the simple fact that innocent men are routinely put to death, men and women are routinely put to death for crimes they didn't commit that are exonerated posthumously through discovery of DNA evidence or different testimony coming out. So we see quite regularly people are put to death by the federal or state government when they're innocent. And yet, by accepting this narrative that government should be able to quarantine people, that quarantine entire cities and make entire towns of death, that somehow this is better, that, that, that this is an excusable form of the death penalty, were it to come to that? I'm sorry, but I reject that outright. Just because a virus exists doesn't mean every person in that city has it. And if, in fact, it is so deadly, you're condemning them to death. But, I mean, for fuck's sake, people can protect themselves. You can close yourself in. You can find a different solution. Let people escape. Test them. Quarantine them in a, in a, in a way that will be humane if you have to in steps and stages. I would argue that the way to do it would be in a, per, in a private property society. They could go out from where they were. Let them go out into the woods where they're away from people just to wait until this thing dies down. Pitch a tent somewhere. But allow them to escape the death trap that might be their current city. And if you have a city and you decide you don't want to let those people in, well, that's on you. That's fine. You can decide as a community that you want to protect your private property borders and not allow people in. Sure. But you cannot deny people their ability to leave. That's called imprisonment, and that is draconian and evil. Now, let's take it one step farther. Just By the way, the last thing I want to talk about is actually two more things. Let's talk about the free markets being able to, to find the solution to this faster than any government organization. We've seen the way FEMA operates. We've seen the way the World Health Organization operates. We've seen the way the CDC operates. Wait, Christ, we've seen the way the fucking FDA operates at a snail's pace. It's not the best and brightest of these organizations. If anything, all they do is slow down the ability of people to collaborate, to coordinate, to share information. I mean, Christ, states getting in the way of that. States saying, oh, these are state secrets. We don't want to share this information. We'll only share this, that information. Get in the way of people collaborating to find a cure. Private market companies would say, okay, we've got this component. You have this component. You have the stats. You have these things. Let's get them all together. Let's find a solution that's going to be profitable for us, and let's get this thing cured. States, maybe they want to get it cured, but, I mean, they're on nobody's time frame. Sure, it'll be somewhat fast, but, I mean, we want to collaborate with the Americans, but we don't want to show them too much. We don't want, what if they don't show us all their data? And, of course, as Americans, we say, well, how do we, how can we trust your data, China? And that brings me to my next point. States lie all the time, all the time. Countries lie for Christ's sake, classified. All that means is that they lie about it to us. We don't know about it. They hide the data. I mean, China's reports of the virus coming out were probably underreported by hundreds of thousands of people. Now, that doesn't mean that the virus is extra deadly. It just means they were trying to protect their image, protect the supply chains, protect investment, protect in, in trade in China. 
but governments lie all the time. So we're supposed to trust them to tell us the truth, right? To A, tell us the truth. To B, quarantine us, deny us exit and entry based upon that quote-unquote truth. To C, then cure us in the fastest way possible, which obviously, if you know anything about government, is, I mean, it's an oxymoron. There's no way. The government's the slowest possible iteration of any solution. And then D, tell us the truth about our own deaths. (laughs) For Christ's sake, if you're in a state that is authoritarian, not only is it going to quarantine you, allow you to die, not cure you until it's vastly too late, and then it's going to tell you that the way you died wasn't in the wasn't due to the virus, it wasn't due to government malfeasance, it wasn't due to the government dragging its heels, it wasn't due to any of that. It wasn't due to them not wanting to share secrets or not wanting to import, uh, you know, the cure fast enough or not wanting to 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 pay for it. Because again, in the free market system, you'd be able to pay for it, uh, and if nothing else. If, it, if only the richest people could pay for it, it doesn't exactly profit the company selling it, right? You want the most people to have it at the fastest time. And also, if you don't have uh, IP, you can have people make knockoff cures that then would be cheaper to the general populace, right? There's nobody has a, a guaranteed two-year window on a cure for the goddamn coronavirus. So then they just lie to you about your death and be like, well, you probably, I don't know, you probably died of not paying taxes. anyway long story short no thank you give me a free market solution give me free and easy travel give me a organization uh, the world health organization and state governments that don't lie to me and cause pandemics in the first place just give me freedom i guarantee that will be the best solution to whatever ails you see what i did there whatever ails you freedom will still be the best cure. All right, that's Bar Talk on the Coronavirus. Cliff, explanation, please. Now, how do you know he has one? Five bucks says he does, ten says it's a doozy. Maybe it's a beer talking, Mart, but you got a butt that won't quit. They got these big chewy pretzels here that are all you get with your beer. You know, Five dollars? Get out of here. All right, so that was bar talk. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention too is uh, during that is let's not forget too the cost of state governments handling this stuff. Where the private economy, private free markets, competition in the free market could come up with a solution to this quickly, effectively, market it, sell it. Nobody has to pay taxes. Only those affected with the virus will have to buy in and pay for a cure or pay for treatments. If the states run it, everybody pays. Not only do they pay, but they pay massively because you're paying for the bureaucracy behind it. I mean, we're looking at local governments like Florida declaring a state of emergency after two cases. Two fucking cases. Absolute madness. All right, coming back in, I got some good news, guys. Judicial Watch, which has been uh, pretty damn good about following up on quite a few issues. And I know, uh, you know, Judge Napolitano is involved with Jewish Judicial Watch. They have gotten to the point where after discovering a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, whoopsie daisies from Hillary Clinton, I think specifically in response to the Benghazi email chain and the cover ups they did there, uh, destruction of emails, et cetera. They have now gotten to the point where Hillary Clinton will have to go in front of a judge and give deposition 
over what happened with her private email server and the destruction of emails. Because, here, well, let me break it down for you. So Judge Napolitano actually was on Fox and Friends talking about this. Uh, Judge Napolitano, who, by the way, is on my Liberty Draft team, and there will be a the finale of the Liberty Draft coming very soon, by the way. Exciting stuff. If you don't know about Liberty Draft, it's where we draft people on our teams and uh, then assign them positions, you know, VP, uh, president, head of social media, all these other things. But uh, pretty fun stuff. So she has to sit before a federal judge and have a sworn deposition based upon what she did with her server, the private email server, conduct the government business, and testify under oath whether or not she had had this server in order to get around uh, you know, Federal Information uh, Act requests about Benghazi. Like, is that why they had the server? Now, what's interesting about this, guys, I'm a little drunk now. That <laughs> bar talk segment, woo, got me. The interesting thing that Judge Napolitano points out here, though, is that she's in a sort of catch-22 in that she's predicted or she's protected from the, the, uh, the statute of limitations on destroying the email server, right? I guess that statute of limitations is gone. And Judgment Napolitano, uh, here's his quote. She can't plead the fifth because the statute of limitations to prosecute pro- <laughs> prosecute her for failure to safeguard state secrets has come and gone. She can't be prosecuted for that. She could be prosecuted if she lies under oath in this deposition. She is represented in the deposition by lawyers from the Justice Department. So the same Justice Department would prosecute her if she lies under oath. <laughs> so it's a hilarious situation. She is literally like she, if she says and admits what she did, then public will turn towards her and go, oh my God, you horrible piece of trash. You're admitting that you're this despicable person. And again, this is funny in regards to her bringing out a new podcast and her possibly throwing her hat back in the ring. If there's a, uh, a brokered convention for the Democrats, She's basically trapped now. Judicial Watch has trapped her because she can't plead the fifth. She's the statute of limitations is gone. The only option for her, if she doesn't want to be caught in a lie, is to just admit what she did. This is fantastic. This is a beautiful thing. Now, granted, it'd be much more beautiful if she went to jail, but still, a win. It's a, it's a win. It's a hilarious win. Okay, moving on. Uh, let's talk a little culture stuff. So Barbara Streisand, of course, Barbara Streisand can't stand Trump. Barbara Streisand uh, is also, uh, in my opinion, an absolute imbecile. But Barbara Streisand penned a op-ed saying that she feared the country, quote, could be extinguished if President Trump wins election in November. He is a, quote, one-man weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> now, Variety published this. And I have to ask, why they think that this would be something, A, that anyone would take interest in. I mean, I know people recognize the name Barbara Streisand, but they recognize the name Barbara Streisand for singing show tunes, for playing a young Jewish man in a movie. And uh, you know, nothing related to politics, nothing related to being a next-level thinker, nobody uh, that it would be associated with, with a global political outlook, nobody that you would even think twice about 
to go to for a base opinion on anything in regards to public policy, effectiveness, statistics. Yet, Variety publishes an op-ed saying that he will, in fact, end the world, that the country could be extinguished. Now, what does she base this on, you may ask yourself? Oh, just, you know, this feeling. Let me read you this this quote. Quote, every morning I wake up. Should I do a Barbara Streisand impression? Every morning I wake up, holding my breath while I turn on my phone to see the latest news. I think to myself, it can't be worse than yesterday. But when the news loads, I think, oh, yes, it is worse, writes Streisand. These people live in a world. Now, now, I don't want some asshole to listen to just this part of the podcast to think that I'm a GOP talking point uh, spouter defending Trump. But in what world do you have to live in where you obsess so insanely about this. I mean, we talk about Trump derangement syndrome, but it is real and it is palpable. And that's the one thing I, I'm kind of excited. I'm almost becoming a collapsitarian over this. Wanting Trump to win just so we see the entire system burn to the ground because these people are so deranged and have such misconceptions about anyone representing them, let alone fucking Trump. Like, why do you represent Trump? Why does Trump represent you? Why do you identify with him? Why do you identify with any president? You're an individual. Why does he affect you so much? Like, it's amazing that somebody like Barbara Streisand become this cultural icon, right? Or any of these people that become cultural icons when they be, they're absolutely vapid. They're, they're meaningless, And these people of such cultural prominence and cultural power are so affected. They have all the money in the world. They have all the platforms in the world. They have all the, like, millions of people dote on their every word. And yet they're so affected by this little man sitting in a fucking made-up position, pushing buttons, tweeting on Twitter. He affects them so prominently, these people of power and prestige, that they are resigned to being shells of themselves, to writing these op-eds, to living in a fantasy world. I mean, it is absolutely stunning to me. Why would you let this person affect you? It's it's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And she calls for, at the end of this op-ed, quote, She says, we need a new America without pollution, without obscenities, without insults, without revenge. Now, that, by the way, is one of the, again, one of the stupidest things I've ever read. If you ever think a world will exist without pollution, without obscenities, without insults, without revenge, well, you are a fucking moron, and I'm going to find you and cut off your (laughs) You see what I did there, obviously. But no. It's just like these people, not only do they have Trump derangement syndrome, but they also just have reality derangement syndrome. This world will never exist. These people want a pie-in-the-sky world where these things don't exist, where we can control, emphasis on control, what people say, what people do. And, of course, the ideology only aligns with the progressive uber-left. Okay, what's your definition of obscenity, Barbara? Is is, is, Is the definition of obscenity misgendering somebody? Is then... Science itself an obscenity? Would you get rid of science that is based upon decades and decades and decades of scientific research into male and female anatomy? Is that an obscenity? Is it an insult to you to refer to somebody 
as uh, African-American or refer to somebody as black who you consider African-American, even though that is obviously a ridiculous nomenclature to use for black people because they're not all from fucking Africa, are they? But is that an insult to you? Is revenge to you responding to somebody that attacks you or responding to, say, a peer-published paper in a journal, let's say it's on modern feminism, would you consider revenge to rebuke the statements made in that journal and attack the person that wrote it as a hack? Is that revenge? Would you consider revenge for people that have been ousted from the social sciences or ousted from um, research into pediatric development? Is it revenge for them to push back against the people that had ousted them based upon junk science and wokeness? You can see how these things break down under scrutiny, how they're completely irrelevant fantasy concepts, and yet these people want these concepts to govern us. Thus the rise of the Bernie Sanderses of the world. Thus the rise of hate speech. Thus the rise of authoritarianism, hearkening back to our bar talk, which has gotten me so drunk. Ah, God, we're already over an hour in this show. Okay, moving on from Babs. No more Barbara Streisand. Um, real quick, I want to talk about, um, oh, just to give credence, uh, Rand Paul, a Paul loss for him, has uh, gotten Trump's ear about attacking the controversial surveillance programs, namely what has been pushed forward in the Patriot Act and then renewed in the USA Freedom Act, uh, the ability for the government to spy upon us, to garner our phone records, to garner our uh, internet records, to monitor our cell phone usage, etc. Of course, famously, $100 million was spent on a collection program which was ex- uh, exposed by Edward Snowden, who is still not allowed in the country, by the way. But, uh, uh, you know, PRISM and all these other programs that they had, $100 million worth of expenditures netted a total result of zero people. Zero terrorists, zero zero uh, real culprits, zero anything for all of this domestic spying, for all this money spent. So Rand Paul has brought Trump's attention to this. Now, Trump obviously is going to be more inclined to rein in the spying state, especially considering the FISA abuses against him during this whole Trump-Russia collusion nonsense that went on. So good job. I'm excited to see what happens for that. Um, One more thing. Actually, we'll do three more very quickly because I am very drunk. Okay, number one, uh, Boston considers income-adjusted parking tickets. Well, on the surface, that's, you know, I, I would say I'm for this. I'm against the fact that they are income-adjusting to fuck people over that have higher incomes, of course. But I'll tell you why I'm for this. And then, uh, but of course, I don't think it should stop there. I think people should fight for lower parking tickets universally. And that parking tickets as a whole are uh, fairly nonsensical. But Time and time again, and I've seen this play out in Los Angeles, and you know, Jay Beaver was on Mark's show, and he's a, a big uh, fighter against these parking tickets and actually ran for a city council seat based upon it. But in Los Angeles, they really, I mean, since I've lived here, parking tickets were like $15. Then they went up to $30. Then they were up to $60. Now they're up to like $75, $90 for a goddamn parking ticket. You forget what side of the road you're supposed to be uh, parked on for street sweeping, and they give you a $90 ticket. Now, for me, I get pissed off, but I can afford to pay it. What happens is that a lot of people can't afford to pay it. So what they do is they either get fined for missing the payment. 
Then they double that amount, right? They don't give you a warning. They double that amount. Then they triple that amount. Then they quadruple that amount. They issue a warrant for your arrest. Now, if you get pulled over for any infraction, you go to jail. Not only that, but there's also ways you can pay off, right? Let's say you miss it and it gets up to this astronomical $800 for a $90 parking ticket. Now, well, you could go and get in a payment system, right? But of course, there's interest on that. So it takes you years and years to pay off this bullshit parking ticket in the first place. Impacts your ability to make a living. Uh, now you've got creditors after you. Now you've got the state <coughs> collecting massively on the poorest of us who can't pay it. So, you know, the fact that they're adjusting this, I'm happy that more people will be uh, excused from going to jail, hopefully. But it's still bullshit to issue parking tickets in general. So there you go. That's quick aside there. Uh, other thing I want to talk about. This is too funny. A school not allowing middle school kids to say no to being asked to dance. Of course, this comes in the generation of everybody should get a prize. Nobody should be able to, uh, to nobody should have to feel bad. None of this shit. So this is at a school. Where is this school at? A middle school in Utah, rich middle school in Lake Town, Utah, said that the Valentine's Day dance, it is against the rules to say no. And a principal interviewed when a, a little girl was asked to dance and she said no. And the principal said, no, you have to go dance. You have to go out there and do what you have to do. We do ask all students to dance, says the principal. It's a nice thing to do and will continue to be our policy. There have been similar situations in the past where some students felt uncomfortable with others, and as stated prior, the issues were discreetly handled. This allowed all students to feel comfortable, welcome, safe, and included. Of course, the option that the school gives is that parents can check their kids out of school for the day if they're not comfortable with their children being forced to dance with others. Now, I'm just I'm shocked that this... I know we're in an era of wokeness and acceptance and everybody know nobody should ever be told no. And everybody's acceptable and everybody's good looking. And everybody's talented and all this other fucking bullshit. But isn't it an odd in an era of me too wokeness where Harvey Weinstein's uh, off to prison, where Chris Matthews just retired and resigned. Like literally the morning of before the broadcast, Chris Matthews resigns. It's hilarious because the guy that replaced him had no idea what to say. He's on camera and he's like, well, <laughs> Chris Matthews is a legend. If you don't know, Chris Matthews was signed because a lot of uh, women came forward with sexual harassment allegations. It's amazing to me how these things happen, by the way, how they just somehow come out of fucking nowhere. And then all of a sudden, 17 women are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then a guy res resigns. I, I don't know. Maybe Chris Matthews is just a coward. Maybe he's too old and he says, I don't give a shit anymore and just doesn't want to fight it. Maybe he's guilty. I don't know. It's certainly interesting. But in an era of me tooness, that this school's a policy to force children to dance that you can't say no? What kind of ridiculous, insane message does that send? And if you're a child, I'm sorry, how does that help you knowing that somebody can't say no to you? In an era of privilege, we're saying to our children, no one will ever say no to you. Go up and ask any girl to dance. You cannot be rejected, my friend. I'm sure that's not going to come about in odd and horrible ways when they get into later stages of sexual activity in life. And they say, well, no one's ever rejected me before. Why should you reject me and just start raping people? I mean, I know I'm being a bit drunkenly hyperbolic here, but still, don't you think that sometimes these things can snowball? Don't you think that 
never being told no could be a problem? Don't you think that's going to impinge on people's emotional development? I've said this before in other shows. Half the problem, I think, with what we see with school violence and shootings, it comes from people not being told no, not having disappointment in the last, not being able to overcome disappointment and figure out how to deal with those emotions in a rational way that's not outright violence. And social media, of course, playing into it. Now, maybe the school is saying, well, we don't want people to feel bad, so we make them dance each other so everybody has a good social media experience too. But still, you don't think these kids are going to go on social media and be like, I was forced to dance with XYZ gross motherfucker over there? Of course they are. You don't think it's going to be extra awkward and make things even worse at school if you force kids to dance with each other? Then they have a story about how they had to dance with that gross kid instead of that gross kid just being against the wall. That's just fine. Hey, guys, I turned out great. In elementary school, I'm pretty sure I was just kind of against the wall, too. That's what kids do at that age. Maybe I got turned down. I don't really know. I got past it. But this is just creepy, man. God, it's creepy. All right. That's it. Other than this, I want to leave you guys on this. I'll make a quick note, and then I want to leave you with uh, some inspiring words from the Declaration of Independence as read by Joe Biden. So, guys, thank you again for all of you new listeners. We appreciate you being on here again. Go go do give us a good review on iTunes. Even out that one schlub. Jesus, what an asshole. If you're that guy, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Anyway, uh, again, listen to Mark Claren Mondays with his interviews with the Leaders of Liberty. He had Lincoln Chafee on the show, and uh, I will say I'm still not going to vote for Lincoln Chafee, but I I don't feel as harshly as I did about uh, Mr. Chafee. So uh, interesting, though, if, if, if it got me to that point, I would say it's an interesting listen. Of course, I'm here every Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, and we've got John Odie Matt coming in, pulling on the rear on Felony Fridays with his fascinating interviews of people within the criminal justice system on both sides, those who have been on the officiating side, those who have been on the uh, the receiving end, those who have been involved and everything in between. So really do listen to that. And uh, guys, I do want to remind you as well at the end of the show we're, we're in the voting process, right? I just voted for uh, for my Libertarian candidate. We're going to be going to the Libertarian Convention. You can also get involved. Go to lp.org forward slash Lions of Liberty if you want to, uh, to sign up, become a part of the party, and uh, make your presence felt. You can do that. Use that link, and that way we get a little, uh, little extra love. All right, guys. From me. A drunken Brian McWilliams. This is Lions of Liberty. <laughs> I don't know. I crack myself. Up. Okay. From me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the goal. You know the, you know the thing. <laughs>